Oh non, j'entends pas bien. Ah merde, ah, voilà. T'es où là <rire> Dans la chambre d'amis de ma location. <rire> euh, je me suis isolé. C'est un petit bureau de l'illicusien, c'est là que je bosse. T'es sûr à tabouré ou quoi Je me suis isolé, il y a la famille. J'arrive en Bretagne, tout le monde débarque. Ah ouais, c'est ça, t'es en Bretagne, ouais. Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective, maybe you call it a dream? of doing this one thing. You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi everyone, this is Cyril and uh, welcome to my podcast. I really want to do this. Uh, today, I'm really happy we have a, a great guest again. Uh, his name is Julien, and uh, we're going to get to know him in, in the first part of this podcast. So, Julien, thank you so much for uh, being with us. Uh, tell me, where are you right now? Hi, Cyril. It's nice talking to you. Well, right now I'm in Brittany, in France, in Bretagne, which is the western part of France, for those who don't know France so well. And it's an amazing place where I was born and uh, that I love to come back during the summer. Mm, I love Bretagne. Uh, it's all my childhood. It was vacation in Brittany, Brittany, Brittany. Love it. Yeah, same here. Brittany. For those who don't know, it's the country of crepe and, and cider and Queen Amman. <laughs> the full of energy of the sea and uh, what the earth is giving you in Brittany. The nature is amazing, as you know. And uh, I think it gives people a lot of strength and People are supposed to be a bit stubborn when they come from Brittany. I believe this is quite true, but this is also, it's coming with a lot of strength. And, and when you travel the world, like you did and like I did, you meet a lot of people from Brittany somehow. Yeah. They like to go, they love their place, but they love to travel and they love to discover things. Yeah, I love the, the fact also that it has its own personality. You know, it's, it's very uh, Gaelic, Gaelic. There's a, the music is with pipes. Right. And it's, it's very different than the other personality of each region of France, right? And very rocky, sure. yeah. uh, rocky beach, but a rocky coast, a little bit wild, uh, you know, quite wet and humid, but also surprisingly sunny at times. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough place. I mean, people are, you know, it like takes longer to get to interact with people, but I guess, and it's the same in the north of Europe. Once you go past this obstacle of the first encounter where people are a bit cooler, a bit colder than in the Mediterranean area, 
then it seems that the link you've created is really strong and maybe a bit less artificial than when you go in the south of France. That's that's yes. my belief. Yeah, yeah, and I love that. Mm. I can hear a little bit of an accent. Uh, are you uh, British? <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm Californian. I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm French, and I actually like all the stupid Frenchmen. I started learning English when I was like 14 or 15 years old. So. I couldn't speak a word of English before that age, but uh, fortunately I went to England to study and then I traveled the world just like you and I, I managed to get this amazing level of English now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's very, very romantic, you know. Tell me where you live, where do you call home? All right, yeah. Well, right now uh, I call home uh, a small island in the Mediterranean, actually. It's called Cyprus. And mm -hmm. the first time I heard about Cyprus was at the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> I always found it very exotic. You know, Cyprus got one point or two points. And I was thinking, what is Cyprus? It's like Malta. Who knows about Malta? I mean, we know, yeah, we barely know it in Europe, but I can imagine that Malta and Cyprus are like non-existent. It's like great. And uh, well, it's a family story. I met my wife who actually is from Cyprus. Uh -huh. So after spending like, uh, well, we get to that, but after spending about 10 years in Asia, And having two sons, I decided that I would move back to Cyprus because Cyprus is a good place for a kid, a kid to grow. There is the sea, there is the mountain. People are really good and uh, there's good food. It's a good atmosphere. It's like a small bubble, you know? It's like yeah. uh, in French, we have the Bisounours. Cyprus is like the Bisounours island. Everybody is <laughs> nice, everybody is smiling. You have the good food, the good weather. So definitely a better place to grow up than some other places. I was right before Cyprus in Singapore which I actually loved, but Singapore was sort of too clean for me and too rich and too, you know, too perfect yes. in a way. Cyprus was the perfect option for me to move. And I moved there like about 10 years ago now. And I've started doing my life over there, uh, founded a company there and making friends there and doing everything I do now for but 10 you years. And I don't regret it. And I love friends, but... You also yeah. lived in, in China, didn't you? In Hong Kong or is it... Yeah, Asia? I spent about five years in China and uh, I spent uh, five years in Singapore as well. Like it was, it was mm. 10 years in total in Asia. My dream when I was uh, younger was to actually live in China. I, I got the opportunity to learn Chinese when I was like 14 years old. Okay, so uh, the, I'm making fun of Baz, you, you're having a, a French accent when you speak English, but please, I mean, this is kind of stupid, but please <laughs> talk in Chinese a little bit. <laughs> that's an insult by the way but oh. it's a very cute insult because that only means that you are a, a very big egg of a turtle so which by the way for the chinese a big insult so don't, don't have fun uh, with a chinese guy like this but yeah i love no, it it's the best i mean it's Congratulations. I was so lucky, but you know what? Uh, when I picked Chinese, my dad actually told me off because he was back in 1996 or five that I actually chose to learn Chinese. And back then, China was this really far away country that nobody ever goes, that there is nothing to do over there. It's another world. Yeah. And I don't know why I picked it, to be honest. Maybe we'll get to that. It's the first time in my life I said yes to something without knowing what I had to what I could expect from that decision. Yeah. And that was the best decision of my life. So first lesson about this is just say yes. You know, I was going to come yeah. to that later, but say yes, always bring something to you, always. always. And I didn't know China would be the big explosion of trade and, and you know, opportunities. It became 
later on in the 2000s uh, and and but it did it just did and that that was probably mm. a foundation of my life because thanks to chinese i could go there live there start a career over there and have a slightly different life than than my friends and that definitely uh, gave me a lot of Uh, different aspects of my personality are coming from that. So mm. I'm very grateful I made this decision. Uh, I don't know why I made it, but yeah, the funny story is my dad told me off. He said, what are you going to do with Chinese? And it turned out it was actually the best decision of my life when I was 15 years old. So 15? yeah, sometimes wow. you have to say yes. Yeah, I love it. Tell me a bit more about your, your family environment and your childhood and... Uh, I'm asking this because I think the way we were raised, I mean, you could be two kids in the same family and have different personalities. You could have two houses in the same neighborhood and the family environment will be so completely different. And obviously the country is having a big influence of origin. So tell me about your childhood. I want to understand a little bit more just to get to know you, but also I think it has an impact on how you decide to choose your life after and, and what you want to go after. Yeah, well... Um, I guess I had a pretty regular childhood, I want to say, like, you know, middle-class family in France and uh, nothing special. I mean, we were not rich, we were not poor, we were just like average. And that was a very simple life, you know, just, mm -hmm. you know, having teenage problem like everybody else. Actually, when I was a teenager, I when everybody started smoking joints and stuff, you know, in France, people start drinking, or especially in Britain, so you're eight years old. No, I'm joking. When they're 14 or 15 years old, <laughs> and they start smoking as well. And my, I was never attracted to this for some reason. And my rebellion, my teenage thing, was to be like a, a, a Buddhist for some reason. So mm -hmm. I shaved my head. I started uh, to not eating meat anymore. My grandma was mad about me because of that, because, you know, when you eat meat, you're healthy, supposedly. So I stopped eating meat. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I was probably very boring. I read a lot of books about Buddha. So that was my rebellion. <laughs> But I mean, it was pretty, pretty classic as, as, as a teenager. I had my own fight and my own, you know, rebellions. But then I, I guess, again, we are back to the Chinese. The minute I decided to do the, the Chinese lessons and, and learn, I ended up somehow with people who were similar as me, like they wanted to, to discover something that others didn't know about. And right. the teacher, my Chinese teacher had a huge impact on me. He was this crazy guy who just, he was also a music teacher, still is by the way. And he was full of dream. He was a mess. He could, he was talking all the time. He was so enthusiastic. Nobody got what he was telling, but the only <laughs> thing we all knew was that he was a kind guy and he was enthusiastic. And yeah. he said to us, guys, I'm going to take you to China. So, fifth, you know, we were like 14 years old and we knew that on the A-level year, when we would turn 17 or 18, we would go and spend three weeks in China. Yeah. And that was amazing because back then nobody used to go to China. You know, like a, a school trip was going one hour away to pick mushrooms in the forest yes. or maybe go to the sea, to the beach. So that yeah. was amazing. And that definitely was one of the, again, something that had a huge impact on me and Sorry to interrupt, but isn't it funny how one meeting one person yeah. at the right time could have so much impact? Look, like he just said, I'm going to take you to China, and that was enough. It's like, totally. what? China? Let me learn about China. Exactly. Oh, you can learn Chinese. But what? again, I guess, I guess it's a matter of, you know, it's like when you play tennis. It's not, you play better when you play with a good opponent. When you play with somebody who's like average, you don't play yes. that well. Yes. And in that, in that case, in that specific situation, the Chinese teacher came there 
they, he, he introduced the, the subject. He said, look, I'm going to teach Chinese to whoever won next year. Somehow, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. And on the other hand, I also feel that it was already in me because somehow out of 30 students, only five or six decided to follow this crazy guy and go for it. Yes. So it means that inside these five or six, there was something, I can't define what it was, but something that wanted to do something different. So already there was like a seed of something inside it that just grew yeah. thanks to all the meeting you had and everything. And uh, yeah, it's like... I, I think it's the same for chance, me. But it's also inside you, I think. Maybe it was a response of what your situation was. That's why I was asking you about your childhood. Mine was in a tiny little village in the north of France, 5,000 inhabitants. I would go bike to school and come back, you know, home. It was very, like, I wouldn't say boring, but very routine, you know. And I guess I wanted excitement. I wanted, and when I 18, I, I could have the opportunity to go and live overseas as an exchange student. It was like, wow, I love this. So it could be a response of, you know, your childhood that you say, okay, uh, it's the best roots. Don't get me wrong. It's the best roots. But at some point you want to grow wings and you, I want to see what's going on out there. No, totally. And I like back on what you were saying before, like two kids in the same family could, could have totally different personalities like my sister who I totally love I love her so much you know she's three years older than me obviously grew up in the same house as me and she was so different than me she loved to be in Brittany she had tons of friends she went through the teenage wood differently than me like she was drinking and smoking I hope my parents don't listen to this podcast <laughs> but uh, you know and she's amazing and she was so deeply rooted into Brittany that she barely after that she traveled a bit yes but now she's still in Brittany and yeah. but there is one thing in common we have the same values we have the same family values the same kind of humor so we share lots of things however at some point we had different origins different perspectives and we were grown in the same family but we became these two different people with one thing in common that is very very strong the values i think it's all about the values and mm -hmm. i guess it's the same for you and all your brothers and sisters i mean you have different profiles and different stories but at the end of the day you can meet them after one year or two years and have a conversation and have the same joke you were doing 15 years ago exactly. yeah, yeah you know exactly. that that link that invisible link is very precious even though we went different ways yeah and and family uh was that your parents that created that uh a great atmosphere or that fraternity feeling well i'm i wouldn't say so i mean they're great great people my parents but uh, i think they were really much into the duty of you know raising their kids right so when you're sometimes too much into this duty like you have to do something sometimes you don't leave a lot of space to fantasy and dream and stuff like that so hmm. i respect them so much and i love them so much because they gave me the tool to be you know like a balanced people balanced person and everything but i don't think they are the one who gave me or in in a very indirect way they gave me this will to dream of something bigger but yeah. somehow uh, no, they were super normal and super focused on our education and everything, and which is great. It gives you great foundation. I mean, there's no, no discussion about that. But then it's all about you as a personality. You can either yeah. take the ball a little bit further or you can just stay there. And I don't know. At the end of the day, it's half-half. I think education has a big role in your, in your, in your life. It, yeah. it helps a lot. But then it's also about your, yourself. Like, what do you do? And then, I don't know, it's, it's like... What do you do with the experience that's coming your way? Like, 
this even that China trip that we did make when we were 17, some people didn't like it because it was too different. They were overwhelmed by the difference of culture and some of them were just embracing blew up their mind. Like I came back to France, I was a different person, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's all about what do you do with this experience, with this gift, which is made to you. You can either use it or leave it there some, somewhere and continue your way. Or you can just say, okay, wow, that experience is bringing me this knowledge and that knowledge. I'm going to use this knowledge and that knowledge for the next experience. And I guess that's pretty much how I handled that. And I knew I was in love with China. I knew I was in love with the language, with the people. And I knew I would actually be living over there at some point of my life. And that's what I did. Okay, let's go into the, the main part of the, the podcast now. And, and it's called, I really want to do this. Was there a point in your life where... You, or I guess, obviously, you talked about China. I really want to live in China. Could that? It could be that. But can you tell me about one moment where you felt that fire of doing something? And and um, and then we'll go into more details of. Was there a pattern to it that over the, your life that you have reproduced, or like you feel that fire and then you see the goal and then you create step to make it happen? Tell me, tell me about your. I really want to do this moment. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I guess the moment I, I, I'd like to talk about is that, that moment that I decided to, to run a, a race, an extreme race, like an Ironman, you know, it was a semi-Ironman, actually. And mm -hmm. uh, like two years before that, I wasn't fit at all. I was like a bit fat, very stressed. I could run like one kilometer and then I was really, really, really How old tired. were you? Uh, I was, uh, I was in Singapore. I was uh, like 29 years old. But okay. before, like, like two years before... My, my, when my son was born, I was sort of chubby, you know, very stressed guy, like my work and everything. And I decided that I would, I had to be fit because my son was born. I have to be a fit guy because mm -hmm. I want to spend as much time as I can with him and help him no matter what. So I decided to get fit. And in my target was that uh, semi-Ironman in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So I decided to do this. And from then, from that moment, uh, a lot of things changed. Basically, I, I, I decided, I, I knew, I knew I would do it. I didn't know how. Yeah, I took a piece of paper, the old way, you know, piece of paper, a pen. And I said, okay, these are the things I have to do. So training, how many hours? Mm -hmm. Closer to the date, I have to train so that many hours. That means working, uh, you know, arranging my work so I could train. Uh, that means losing like, let's say, 12 kilos because otherwise I know that my ideal weight was so much and so much. So what I, what I loved about, like right now I'm going to, you know, I, I follow you and your, your own story. I know it's about you, but what I love, I think the, the, the most in, in all that is that like you, I'm a very regular guy. I am not a huge guy. I don't have the crazy endurance and everything, but if I decide something I'm, I'm, and if I really give myself the mean to do it then I'm going to do it yeah so that's what happened with the Ironman but because I started from really really far back in terms of so, but why did you chances to finish in the first it. place you just decided I mean it could have been like walk the the, the Camino of Compostela it could have been cross the, the Corsica yeah. GR20 why, why did you choose this one? It was just, you read about it and you said, this is cool. I want to do it. Yeah. Somehow it was like for someone who's not really fit and doesn't have a lot of endurance. I think the opposite of that was actually to run an Ironman. So, okay, let's go straight to the exact opposite and the extreme 
opposite of what I am now. And let's see if I can do it. So that was part of the challenge. And uh, that's why I decided to do this. And also in Singapore, it was a bit tough because you had a lot of humidity. Training had to be adjusted. It was a bit different. But um, yeah, and I guess, I guess also part of the dream was this. I mean, I wanted to speak about this as well, the visualization. It's like for that one moment, and maybe it's the same for you, like imagine yourself crossing a line, finishing. Mm -hmm. That moment just lasts for five seconds or 10 seconds. But these five or 10 seconds, they are worth the whole journey you're going to embark yeah. months before, years before. And this is the yeah. amazing thing. It's like being a kid. It's like being a child. Like, I want this. It's going to last five seconds. For those five seconds, I'm able to work hours and hours and hours and put my mind to it. And, and that is, it was part of it. I was seeing me finishing the line after these five or six hours of, of effort. And I was enjoying to see me finish this line. And just yeah. to have this one image that actually lasted for like five, 10 seconds, well, the whole preparation went uh, very intense and, and yeah. everything else was possible thanks to that image. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I've, I've been helping some people about that exactly. And no matter what they want to do, I tell them, because at the beginning you have this idea, oh, it's going to feel like this, feel like this. And then you yeah. start training and, you cannot, you lose the reason why you wanted to do it in the first place. So what I say is imagine like that energy that you feel, put it down on a paper. This is what I want to do on across the finish line. This is how I think I'm going to feel when I cross the finish line. And this is why I want to train. Okay. And then you start your training, you start your, your weeks and weeks. And then once you're like, ah, oh, actually, I don't really care about crossing the finish line of that. Okay. Go back to that later. This is the energy you had. And remember this, this is why you're doing this, you know? So um, did you have like friends around you that told you, okay, let's train together. I want to do it. Or you just were training solo for that Ironman. I was, I was just by myself. I had a friend who joined me for the actual race. A good friend was living in China. So that helped a lot. Like we had the same targets together, but no, I was training alone. I was like, and you know, when you start to, I don't know, to put yourself in the mode that you're going to achieve that thing, it, it's not so difficult anymore because it becomes, it has to become a daily thing. I think it has to become part of your daily life, your routine. So for instance, very simple, but I was working seven kilometers away from my home. So instead of, you know, at seven o'clock, well, it was Singapore. So people finish at 5 p.m. So 5.01, nobody's in the office. Everybody has left the office already. <laughs> so I was staying a bit more. I was... Uh, one of the executive over there. And then, you know, it was like 6.37. I start to remove my pant. I put my shorts on. I close the light of the office and I start running home. And that was super simple because the challenge was also when you prepare this kind of race is to not screw up with your family life. You know, I had two kids. Yeah. I didn't want to go early at five o'clock in the morning and come back at night and, you know, like not see your family anymore. Yeah. yeah. And in this busy life that you will have, this is also a difficult thing that is might be a common thing to all the dreams or adventure that people want to prepare is how do I manage to save my family life and my kids and everything while preparing for the yes. big adventure. That's yes. not yes. so hard Challenge by itself. So that's how I managed to do it in Singapore. I was like running to the office, running back, you know, like swimming, but trying not to take too much of the family and family time so that I wouldn't like live my dream, but at the same time damage something. That was sort yes. of a challenge, but yeah, I guess I managed to do that. Yeah.
how long did it take you to prepare for that? And did you finish Ironman? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, it took me, like I said before, about six, seven months. I knew it was very mental. A, f- a good friend of, of mine told me that, and I couldn't believe him, but actually he's totally right. Uh, Ironman or marathon races are 99% in the head. Like literally, uh, like when you say that people say, yeah, but you have to be trained, you have to be fit, you have to, yes. right. Yeah, you need the basic condition. Let's not you know, lie to, to ourselves. However, the mental part of it is like more than 90% for sure, 100%. So to do that, I took some yoga lesson, like every day I had like yoga and just yeah. to know how to breathe because basically I didn't know how to breathe. So I didn't know, therefore I didn't know how to run well for long distances. So that mm-hmm. was for the running. For the cycling was pretty easy because to be honest, Singapore is super flat. So it was like easy. It was quite okay. It was just three hours of cycling, no big uh, slope. It was not the Tour de France, you know. Mm-hmm. And for the swimming, I didn't have the technique at all. So, but I said, I'm going to learn. How do I do the freestyle? So I took a lesson with a very nice guy from Malaysia who had a crazy accent. I could like catch one word in two words that he was saying, but more or less, you know, it was very visual. So I knew how to do. And he just, I took four lessons, I remember, in a nice pool in Singapore. He showed me, I learned, I practiced. And then I said, okay, I'm not the best swimmer of the crowd, definitely. But I could finish the 1.9 kilometers I had to do for that day. So yeah, I took things one at a time and... Uh, I didn't do an amazing score, you know, but I did finish. It took me a bit less than six hours to finish. Wow. And the, fin- the feeling after that was just crazy. I mean, Tell me about that. Wow. Tell me about the feeling. It was crazy, especially the last kilometers. I mean, I'm sure all the runners or people in this kind of race know what I'm talking about. Like, you, you really suffer, but you're running for that last kilometer. You suffer like hell, but you know that the line is right there. You can see it. You are just and you actually enjoy the last kilometer, right? You're like, yeah, I want to go slow. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing. It's like, wow, you celebrate, and also in your mind, you know, like talking about how you have not you have to, but it's nice to remain childish, to remain like a kid. Yeah, you know, like you can't help picturing those guys in the Olympic Games, you know, who finish the line, everybody's cheering. At that moment, believe me, you are in the Olympics. You're no more just a, a random guy doing the Ironman with just two people yeah. who are lost and they applaud. No, no, no. You're in the Olympics. In my mind, I was the, the world champion and, and the yeah. Olympic oh, champion. Yeah. And at that moment, it makes your heart beat very fast. And just it's going again, it's going to last for 10 seconds. But it's going to be the 10 most intense seconds of your last six months. So they are definitely worth working for this last 10 seconds. And the feeling is crazy. It's crazy. It's amazing. I've lived that before as well. I call it the such a blast feeling. Mm-hmm. Or so it has. It has to happen in a race where you push your limits, where maybe you hit the wall. You're like, I want to stop. I like. I literally don't want to keep running. Or in my case, it was paddling when I did the Molokai yeah. Hoe. You hit the wall and you're like I'm done. And then you get the second wind, or you keep going, and then you suddenly say, Wow, actually my body is following me. Like you say, it's very mental. And then you finish, it's like a bliss. It's, there's, I don't know if it's a hormones coming into your body was like, but I call it a, such a blast. It's such a blast. And for me- and it's very emotional as well. Emotional. As we show, I, know. I know you're, you're a guy who likes to cry. I like to cry as well. And when I finish <laughs> races like this, really this, the emotion is the end of the practice. So I cry and I enjoy it. I enjoy crying. It's, it's intensity of emotion, whatever it is, right? It's intensity yeah. that is like, wow. I love it.
did that yeah. push you to go after that feeling again or um did you do any other races after this or you were just like okay i'm, I'm happy for now and, and how did was it i did well i i evolved on that i mean i yeah i did register for a marathon after that and i did the paris marathon and uh, but that one didn't prepare at all i thought it was like a challenge that i was again quite busy i didn't really have time to properly prepare for it and if i remember well, it was in march like four years ago and in january i said i'm going to do paris marathon because i love paris and i want to see paris without the car yes so i'm going to do the marathon and um, i registered there was fortunately there was i still got some space because now marathon are super popular it's hard to get a, to get space to actually register in them and literally and like i must have run twice before the marathon in the last three months twice like five kilometers like nothing and i said i'm going to do it with my own uh, will and I'm, i'm sure i'm going to do it because also knowing the place uh puts you in a secure place. Like I know Paris very well. So we started from, you know, Arc de Triomphe, you go all the way to uh, the Bois de Vincennes, a small forest in the east side of Paris. And then you come back by the river and you finish in the other forest in Boulogne. Yeah. And to know the place, it puts you in your mind in a comfortable, secure zone a little bit. And I knew I would finish, maybe not super fast, but I knew I would do it. And yeah, it was like super feeling, not as strong and intense as the, as the Ironman, but But what it gave me after that was even more confidence in the sense like I can decide that I'm going to do something yes. a bit extreme in three months and I can do it without much preparation, which I don't advise usually for big adventure like yours or anybody else. But in some cases, it's good to give yourself a challenge and say, okay, I'm going to try without any preparation. And it's, it, was, it was fun too. It was amazing. But then I sort of evolved and I said, okay, I don't want to, like, one of my goals in my life is not to perform. I don't care to try and, and, and win, you know. Even I finished the marathon, my uncle that I love, he said, you should have done less than four hours. And I thought, that's, that's not the point, you know. My point was to really finish, to have the, the pleasure of finishing, of running and everything. And, and that's pretty much where I am today. I'm close to 40 years old. So my target is to really just be fit on the long-term regularity, you know. You know, to do nothing extreme, I just do it every day, every day. Um, I'm able to do crazy things like this, but then maybe after that, I will have three weeks and I'm going to eat like a pig and drink a lot of alcohol, you know? So I'll go like sort of up and down, up and down all the time. So my quest, my personal quest is to be a regular guy and to have discipline and to achieve to do something. So yeah, so yeah that's my personal quest. Some people are really good at it. I really suck at this and that's my aim in the next few years to get this regularity and uh, sort of stop See, being extreme either direction. For me, it's, it's almost impossible to say I'm going to be like super healthy for the next 20 years. And this is, I need tiny goals. And for me, having maybe one goal per year yeah. keeps me going. Like I can't go to the gym just to train to train, but I'm not having fun. I need to have a goal. So when I know I've got this race in December, then I've got a reason to train. And, and the end goal is the same. I'm going to be healthy, but it's just the way I work is I need to, to have a reason for, for it. And it has to be fun because I, compared to you, I love to compete. I don't care if I don't finish first, but I want to do my best. Are you working on a particular project right now? Well, yes, actually, it's a rather recent thought that I have, but so deeply rooted already that it's, it's like really solid and part of my life, I have to say. Um, I guess the idea came to my mind about three weeks ago. 
um, under the influence of somebody <laughs> I know well that is crazy enough to do crazy adventures. And I sort of, you know, I, w- I was really like, I was following you, your adventure and so inspiring and everything. And then I thought, it's nice, but it's very passive. Like I'm just watching. Yes. And, and, and then I suddenly I thought, stop watching, do something, you know? And I thought, okay, what can I do? What do I want to do? And I need to have something in the horizon and under preparation. So anyway, my idea was the first idea that I took as I was swimming in the sea in Cyprus, I thought, I guess nobody ever went around Cyprus swimming, you know, around the island. And I thought, well, why not? I'm going to do that. So I started thinking, is that possible? Uh, I started checking the wind and the current and everything. Yeah. As you may know, and, and some people know, the, Cyprus was invaded in 74. So it's actually, the island is actually cut in half. Actually, one third in the north, two third in the south. So the, 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 the one third in the north is occupied. So you can't really cross there by the sea because I think there would be issues. So my tour of Cyprus is going to be from north, from the north side of the island, but actually the Greek side. It's called Katopirgos. Okay. It's a nice village. And I'm going to go west and then south and then east. And I'm going, that's about 300, 350 kilometers. And I'm going to swim uh, to be fully autonomous. So I probably, because keeping, I'm thinking about it all the time. So I start having some practical solution for it. Yes. I'm going to be followed by a paddle probably that I will uh, hang to my waist so that I have, you know, you will be autonomous? And, uh, some water and whatever. Yeah, yeah, I want to be autonomous. So I'm going to try to do the, the three weeks like this and to be followed by my equipment. And, um, but <laughs> I'm not going to cross an ocean. I'm going to stay very close to the coast, you know, so it's, it's, it's rather safe, but you still have to think of a lot of things, actually. So I'm going to stay within like three, 400 meters from the sea, from the coastline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I'm going to swim from my, from my estimation, maybe 12 to 15K every day, kilometers. Yeah. And then you just very quickly swim back to the to the beach or whatever I will find there. I will have a tent on my paddle. I will sleep inside the tent. And uh, next day, same thing again. So I calculated that it should take me about three weeks, probably a little bit less, I hope, if I'm fit enough. And I'm going to do that probably uh, next year in, in springtime. And that's it. That's, and, and the minute I had this idea, then I started organizing things in my head. I started to think of the equipment and the time I should do it and how I want to feel when I start it, like super relaxed in my mind because I'm running a, a one company and I need, I need to be, you know, worry less, like to know that people are taking care of things and I can do that and be by myself for three weeks, which is for me as exciting as the actual sports uh, performance is really to be by yourself for three weeks. And uh, so, yes, it's going to happen next year. And I started thinking a lot about all the practical details and who I'm going to ask for help. Because uh, I think when people are asked to help on a project and they adhere to this project, it's very easy to get people's help. I think people are happy to help. Somebody to help me about the logistics. You know, I'm going to find the four or five key people that will help me. It's a nice challenge. So that's what I'm going to do next year around, I don't know, April or, or May, I guess. I don't know. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, but yeah, I'm excited. has somebody done that before? Like swim and pull a, a paddle board with gear on it? I'm really not sure. I don't know at all. I have no idea. <laughs> but that's, that's what I want to do. 
I want to have my tent and then I'm laughing at myself sometimes thinking of the image of the guy who's a bit tired at the end of the six, seven, eight hours you're swimming and then just pulling out on the beach and assembling your tent, your stupid decathlon tent and then going to eat and sleep until the next day. I don't know. It gives me a lot of fun. This image, it's all about an image. It's, it's, yes. it's something that makes me, makes me laugh. And in the beginning, it's like a joke. And then the more you picture it, the more it becomes real. And the more you organize it, and then it becomes something obvious. And I guess it's the same process for you when you decide about this. First, it's a dream. Then it's how do I do it? And then it's obviously I'm going to do it. I have to do it. You know, it's like three steps. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, that step now, like, how do I do it? I'm going to do it. I love it. I love it. Oh, you're going to have so much fun. I think you'll have also not a lot of fun because when you are talking about swimming eight hours, You might turn around and say, whoa, there's this stand-up paddle board. I want to be on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, you're going to learn so much. I Congratulations for this goal. I, uh, are you going to share it on social I media? Congratulate me if I finish when I do it. <laughs> But the important thing is that this, this one thing, like we were saying before, is going to be with me every day until I, I start it. And it's going to be like, You know, just the, the simple fact obviously is something I'm very serious about, I'm going to do, but just the idea of doing this, talking to people about this, it already yeah. generates something. Like Some in your yeah. case, you know, the yeah. community that's following you, the talks that it generates, the openness, you know, when you say that, you open your heart, you know, you say, I want to do this. And maybe you can just say, what is your thing? What did you want to do? What do you want to do? Yes. And I love the fact that it's like, a, it's an opener. It's an opener for a conversation. It's an opener for an exchange with people. And all these things surrounding a project is actually much bigger than the project itself. It's yes. like, it's what I loved about your project, by the way. It's like, of course, it's a huge performance, huge preparation, whatever. But which create this environment, you know, this micro microcosm that it, it, it creates around it is so amazing because mm. people see themselves into that dream. And that's why... That's what you managed to generate, at least in me and in plenty of other people, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But it's like a wave. It's like you do this and there is a wave and it creates consequences for other people, for other people, yes. for other people. The fact that somebody at some point said, I'm going to do this, it actually creates a chain of reaction, positive reaction to other people who have other ideas and have discussion about it and they like to talk about it and they dream and they travel with you. And just to do this, just having the idea is already half of the way yeah i love it well this is what i want for the podcast is people to showcase what they want to do because you never know who you're going to inspire i mean somebody's going to listen and say wow yeah i'm not a swimmer but i could i could walk across the u.s and i've always wanted to do this and this is my what that podcast is all about i wanted to do this but i don't have time you know i have a mortgage to pay i have a job and well julien he's making it happen it's going to be three weeks he gives himself a year to do it And why not me, you know? So I, I, I love this. Thank you. Okay, so let's, let's go on, on the conclusion side. If you had one advice from you or your experience to give listeners, if they had to one takeaway, one thing that you think would be important in this whole podcast, what, what, what would you give them? Yeah. Well, I would say that... Um... People have to say yes again. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by there is this one movie. I haven't watched it for years, but 
There is a movie with Jim Carrey, who's yeah. a genius, and he, there is a movie where he says yes, you know, and either him or another character starts saying yes instead of no, and his life becomes a mess, but a joyful mess, a yes. beautiful mess, you know, because suddenly the world has changed, and this is amazing what happens to you when you say yes, so when you're not sure and you say yes, you know, things start to happen. Like we said, it's a chain reaction. I'm not saying everything will be positive when you say yes. You will have some challenges. You will have obstacles. I guess it's like when you travel to another country. If you are in the middle of Guatemala and you keep saying yes to people, you might end up, you know, in the middle of the jungle doing weird things with weird people, but you, are, you will experience something. <laughs> yes. If you had said no, you would be in the hotel with your room service and you don't want that. Your life is not a room service. Exactly. Your life is to say yes and see what's going to happen when you say yes. Of course, you know, we're not crazy people. You control the risk. You keep yeah. it safe. That's the bad. Say yes. So that would be my advice, I guess. Just say yes if you hesitate and, and stop saying no and try and experience and accept the yes. I love it. I love it. Okay, so the very last thing, uh, it's the reveal of the song. I ask all my guests to listen to a song before we start talking. And the idea is, The one there's a song you listen to 10, 20, 30 times in a row. It's one song you sing in the car and it creates good energies. And then those energies feel are felt in the, the podcast in your voice. So tell us what the song is. Okay. Uh, the song I listen to is a French song by a French singer called Thomas Fersen. And the title of the song is Le Bal des Oiseaux. And not only I love the melody, like it brings a lot of warmth in my heart and I love it, but also when you look at the lyrics, it's like a young guy who's living his village on his bicycle and he starts experiencing, in the, experiencing things of, of the life, meeting a girl, going to the town, trying to find some food. And the, the song is very joyful. And uh, I love this song, Le Bal des Oiseaux by Thomas Fersen. It's... Somehow, maybe it's the, it's the story of a guy's first life adventure. Just taking a bicycle, like oh, we were saying before, going out of his village and start enjoying life with bad and good things. And I love this song. And the, the, the melody is beautiful as well. Awesome. How do you spell Fersen? Just to, so we can look for it. Yeah. So Thomas Fersen, F-E-R-S-E-N. Fersen. Okay. I'll listen to it yeah. as soon as sure. we do this. Listen, Julien, thank you so much. We wish you the best for the, the swimming around Cyprus. I'll be following. And, thank you so uh, much. And uh, keep you accountable to until you do it. But you'll have to come back after you've done <laughs> it and tell us all about it. That would be fantastic. I will. It's a promise. And you inspire me so much. And uh, thank you so much. Even that exercise today, the podcast, it's like, okay, um, again, again, you're helping people and you have so much an impact <laughs> on all of us. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Julien. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm your host, Cyril. And remember, life is an adventure. Live it. And say yes, right? Say yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Parfait. Bon. Thank you, my man. Super. Ça va bah, C'était cool, c'était un super exercice. Hein. Ah, c'est bon ça, ouais. Exactement. C'est une super idée, franchement, c'est cool. C'est cool que tu fasses ça.